What's up, bikers? Welcome to the Biker Bar Podcast live stream, episode 132. Today, we have Trail Boss USA, who are known for their packable tools. And before we get started, just do a real quick, real quick little, little blurb here. Those of you guys that are helping support the channels on Patreon, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I would love to see any one of you that are listening right now swing by and just drop a little token of your support. You know, it's like I say all the time, you buy a beer at the bar, you throw the bartender a buck, you can do the same thing except for you get to listen to a podcast every week. So I appreciate everybody that's over there supporting me. It really means a lot. It helps things happen. Just the other day, I had to purchase a, a backup server, let's just call it that, to not get technical so that I can make sure that I don't lose all the files that I that I have to make the videos for, for bikers. So that stuff, it's fully supported by Patreon. I really appreciate you guys there. So any of you that want to help out, please do. Otherwise, it puts beer in the fridge and keeps the stoke level high. So that's that. If you want something for free, swing by Instagram or Facebook. Give me a follow over there. Or if you're listening to this on YouTube and you haven't hit the subscribe button, just push the button. It's always fun pushing buttons, right? And if you're really excited while you're pushing buttons, hit the thumbs up button while you're at it too. I appreciate that. Those numbers, when they grow, it tells the algorithm like, hey, things are going good. And um, then then um, makes me happy. And YouTube shows more people this stuff. Those of you guys on the podcast, thank you very much for listening there. And uh, if you want to make this podcast just grow like crazy, which actually, man, it's really doing well in the mountain bike space. Um, go ahead and swing by right now. A, a four-star or five-star review. I, I forget how many stars. All the stars review over on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. So I like to swing by there and read, read what you guys write. It means a lot. And it, once again, helps that algorithm. So when I... Um, when I first started this, I always thought that there would be more YouTube views than there is podcast downloads. And as it is now, more people listen on the podcast than they do on YouTube, which is pretty rad. Never thought that was going to happen. <clears throat> so anyways, today we have Bill from Trail Boss. He is the boss of Trail Boss. We'll go ahead and bring him back on. And uh, how's it going, Bill? Yeah, going good. Not, not, not too shabby for uh, what is, I don't, you know, ever since COVID, I can never remember what day of the week it is. Yeah, it's uh it's in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> of the week somewhere. Yeah. I was going to say Thursday, but I'm pretty sure it's Wednesday. So, yeah. <laughs> so um you're up in the PNW if I remember correctly, you guys are in like Right. Yeah, Belling Bellingham, Washington. Man, you guys are in the in the you guys got the hero dirt up there. It's I don't even... uh it's pretty nice. Right? Pretty nice. I... Do you guys even need tools? I, I would imagine you just use like brooms and spoons or something. Yeah, we don't even rake it anymore. We just go right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's fine. Uh, so yeah. um, I assume that you're a bike rider or you've been a hiker? I, How did I you am. Get yeah. Yeah. Any uh, yeah, two wheel, anything on dirt Uh huh. is pretty much pretty much what I what I like doing. So, so, uh, so like, whether... have you been biking for a long time or like uh yeah i i i i came into mountain biking from the off-road moto world uh-huh um so i started riding off-road motos when i was uh uh about 12 years old um right which was you know some people think that might have been before engines were invented but um <laughs> but you know it had an engine and uh you know did that started racing when i was about 15. Uh -huh. um, racing moto and racing uh, desert in Southern California. Grew up in Southern California. Uh, oh, okay. Was was a desert rat out there uh, 
racing the AMA District 37 stuff for, for quite a oh, while. Man. Laid off, got married, had some kids, laid off from that and then for a little bit and then back into it. And, uh, and my kids were forced uh, to also ride motorcycles. That's how it goes, um, right? And so we, yeah, so we, uh, we grew up doing that and, and, you know, a couple times a month out, out in the desert or at a, at a moto track racing. And, uh-huh. and then, uh, in around 2000, around 2000, I, uh, I moved away, decided to, decided to stop racing altogether. I think I did my last race in 2001, uh-huh. um, and got, got into mountain biking. Um, oh, right on. Yeah. And it was actually my oldest son, my oldest son and a friend of his started a, started a bike shop right out of high school. <clears throat> down in uh, Tustin, California. And, uh-huh. uh, and I was like, I, I need to start doing something. And yeah. so I, uh, I got into mountain biking in around two, 2000, 2000 or so. Yeah. Right on. Is that the shop still open? Yeah. It's called the path, uh, oh, cool. path bike shop in Tustin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a great really... shop. Yeah. Yeah. That's rad. So, um, you, you were talking about doing moto and stuff growing growing up and and through throughout your your life there yeah what was your your day job did it have something to do with like machining or something like that or yeah i i, I started off working in a machine shop when i was still in high school uh-huh. um and did that for a while um had 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 a couple of really good uh opportunities working for shops with a bunch of old people in them yeah. Um, who were friendly and happy to show me how to do things. And, you know, that's not always the case. Yeah. I, I fell in with a good, good small crew and learned an awful lot, uh, in a, in a, you know, few years. Yeah. And that got my interest back up in, uh, learning a bit more about engineering. And so I ended up going back to school, um, and worked in machine shop, went to school at the same time. Um, ultimately became a manufacturing engineer. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's most of my decades professional career is, was being a manufacturing engineer. Oh, um, right yeah. Got to travel around the world doing that, seeing all kinds of different places and different ways people do things. And, uh, was it and, in like, like moto bike kind of industry or just, no, like- no. I mean, yeah, there was that, but it was just general, anything manufacturing, anything yeah, from, yeah. uh, Anything from airplanes to crescent wrenches, you know. Yeah, and yeah. It's the gamut of whatever people manufacture. So I had the, the yeah. good fortune to work with Airbus and Boeing and Lockheed Martin and yeah. GM and Ford and Chrysler and BMW and you know, uh-huh. go down go down the list, Bosch and Braun and that's that's, a, that's one of those um those those fields that I mean it's a high level of of expertise and some people probably just look at it and they're like, I put a piece of metal in a machine and it does it all. And it's, there's so yeah. much more to it. I, yeah. Uh, the, go ahead. I, I was going to say the, one of the, one of the interesting numbers that, uh, that people throw around sometimes, you know, you think of somebody either making a mechanical drawing of a thing they want to make mm-hmm. or make a CAD model of a thing they want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's it, right? But a lot of people don't know that the downstream of that to actually make the thing can generate a hundred other models yeah. of that one thing just to identify all the process steps. Yeah, yeah. To actually make the thing. Yeah, I so, work for a company that um, 
we build robots that go down in the bottom of the ocean and and uh -huh. do stuff. Yeah. And we machine all our own things. So it's like some of those pieces on the ROV are just so complicated. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, you have to think about like, well, this drill bit has to go in at this angle. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, it has to be able to do this chamfer or whatever it is from this other direction. Like you, you, you can only hit it from so many directions. And, so, right. you know, and people don't really think about that. It's not like a, a mold where you just pour the plastic in and poof, there, there it goes, mm -hmm. you know. Right. So definitely, yep. definitely really interesting stuff. Yeah. So yeah. along the way, you, you decide that uh, you'd like to build trails or something or? Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, an another thing that's, you know, that's, again, you know, being the age that I am. Uh, so so riding motos in the late 60s uh -huh. and into the into the 70s. Um, we used to we used to ride in the the uh, southern Sierra mountains in the uh, Inyo Sequoia National Forest in that area. And okay. back and back in the day, back then, uh, there were pretty regular group trail work sessions, mm -hmm. and the the moto crowd would turn out you know a hundred two hundred people on a weekend in the summertime up there, and we'd work with the Forest Service and maintain the trails. Yeah. And that was a regular thing. And that was in the day when, when the Forest Service actually had trail crews. They actually had staff. They actually had people. Yeah. Um, but but we was would turn like, out and work on trails. Right? Was, was um, there like a, 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 a animosity of the moto guys and the equestrians back then before mountain bikers were? Around? You know, not it, not so much. That that grew later. Um, yeah. And you know, we can we can philosophize for hours about why that they happened. I, you know, I don't really know, yeah. but, uh, but there was, there was definitely a change when um, the forest service became unfriendly towards motos in the places that we'd been riding motos for a hundred years. Yeah. They became unfriendly. It was sort of a change in leadership um, and they shut down all those trail work projects and they cut off the, you know, uh, stemmed off the trails that we were riding and shrunk yeah. the area and shrunk the area. Um, yeah, it was really, there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, I'm going to say environmental back backlash going on with the off-road moto world. Uh -huh. You know, I, I was of course in the off-road moto world. So I, I consider what happened very uh, unjustified and unfair. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I can see some similarities between that and you know how it is with mountain biking now where mm -hmm. it's like, I always question when we're out working on these multi-use trails, how many days they're the equestrian group or like the hiking, oh, the hiking group, group are coming out and doing what we're doing, you know? And it's like, I, I put yeah. a countless number of hours in building trails and um, maintaining them and all kinds of stuff. And, and uh, yeah, I definitely don't run into like the equestrian group, like, well, that, that, you know. that, that was for sure one of the things that I that I encountered when I started mountain biking. It was pretty pretty quickly I pretty quickly realized, oh wait, there's this there's this you know no dig no ride support the trails do your work you know uh, yeah. ethic in the mountain biking world that was you know that had been grained in that from early days right. Yeah. And so I was just thrilled to death that, hey, I joined this group of people. They're all into trail work. Oh, great. Yeah. You know, and so so I definitely threw myself into that. Um, 
once I once I figured out that was going on and, uh, you know, just carried on like I'd been doing when I was a you know teenager riding a motorcycle. Um, yeah. Doing that with a mountain bike and and working on trails. And uh, and then it, and then I I learned I don't like hiking very much. I mean, I did yeah. a lot of hiking and I did even some mountaineering and mountain climbing yeah, and yeah. stuff. But but my knees are kind of kind of messed up. And so hiking is super hard on my knees. I, I can ride a bike all day. Yeah. Hiking um, for me is mentally very di like, disturbing. <laughs> yeah, because all I do is walk around and think, man, this would be so much more fun on a bike. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, uh, I, I got into, I really enjoyed riding out to the work sites when we were working uh -huh. somewhere and yeah. just because of my engineering background and my manufacturing background, I just started trying to figure out how can I make myself packable tools that I can throw in my backpack and ride out to the work site. Yeah, and I just started doing that, and I, you know, cobbled together all kinds of stupid crap, you know, that sometimes worked and sometimes wasn't so great. And then I'd find a, I'd find a commercial something I could buy that, you know, that might work. And then those tended to be not very good either. Right, right. Um, and so I just kept doing that, you know, messing around with that. Uh, had had a couple of machine tools in my garage, and uh -huh. uh, that was, you know finally sat down and said, yeah, I should make myself something really nice. I have some time. I have some equipment here. And that mm -hmm. was where I started doing what became Trail Boss Tools was. So you just started out just kind of like trying to figure out how to get something out there easier, basically. is what it Right. Came down yeah. To. The whole motivation was I want to ride out to the work site. Yeah. I mean, I, I've carried a regular full size McLeod out to a trail mm -hmm. that was pretty remote. And I had yeah. that thing like like strapped to the top tube of my bike and like sticking out the front like some kind of battering ram and right. it was yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was ridiculous. Oh, and yeah. there's some spots of the trail where it's like it's not all slow climb, so it's like, yeah. okay, how am I do like like I've done that? You know, I've done that with a uh, what do you call it? Like a pickaxe just through that uh -huh. that handle that goes on the top right. of the, the camelback, and I'm just like. Man, yep. if I fall down wrong, yeah, it's gonna be a shish kebab, you know. Like, yeah. so I could definitely see where where the mind starts ticking, and if you have that background to mm. to to start at it. So, like, what was the first thing? Was it just the McLeod? That was the first thing. You started just a McLeod, yeah. First first thing up was was a McLeod. Um, and you know, made the whole made the handle parts pretty much like a trail boss is today, maybe. Uh, We've certainly done a lot of refinements as we've gone along here over the years, but uh, but you know pretty much that same basic idea of a, of a fiberglass handle mm -hmm. bonded in bonded into some connectors that screw together, um, and then a, a removable head on the end of it. But mm -hmm. at the time, the only head we had was a McLeod. Mm -hmm. So how do you bond that plastic to metal? Like, is it just some? Kind uh, yeah, of it's a it, it's a. Uh, it's a delicate process. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's critical actually how you do it, and the 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 way you prep the surfaces on the metal, uh, the kind of epoxy you use. You know, there's a 100, 200, 500 different kinds of epoxies for all kinds of different applications. Uh -huh. um, and so the kind of epoxy you use for the kind of application really matters. How you prep the surface, um, how much epoxy you put in there. In, in the actual joint that you're creating, the bond joint that you're creating, mm -hmm. um, how you make sure it's all dispersed right. Um, all, all that matters. That all matters. Um, 
Is there and, some kind of like knurling or anything like that on the inside to like give it like some kind of uh, there's, grip, there's, or is it? There, there's a couple secret things in there that. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that's in the sauce there. Yeah, so right on. So so you start building this McLeod. What what were some of the issues that you ran into? Oh, the fir first off, uh, figured out very quickly you can't drill a hole in fiberglass and put uh -huh. a bolt through and put a bolt through it because cracks propagate up the handle and falls apart. Uh -huh. um, so. Uh, uh yeah um getting enough surface area on the bond so that it survives well um uh -huh. holds up well uh you know figuring out where the stress points are and how to reinforce those kinds of things um yeah that was all all developed over time and then as we started you know rather than you know i started off making one tool for me and then some friends were like, oh, that looks pretty cool. And so I made a couple more and just said, here, try this out. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then, you know, it just kind of grew organically from there, made a, made 10 the next run, made 15 or 20 the next run, decided maybe I can actually sell these things. Um, and that was kind of just while you were still just doing your day job. It's kind of like your little- Doing, my, doing my regular, job. yeah, engineering job and doing this on yeah, the side. Yeah. And, had no intention of really turning it into a business. Um, right. And, and then that just kind of happened. And, <laughs> happened on and, and it was fun. You know, it was, it was, I was thoroughly enjoying it. So I was, you know, working my day job and traveling, traveling pretty much around the world and uh, back home on the weekends and making some tools and goofing around with that. And, uh -huh. and uh, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and at, at some point it was like, I think I can just do this full time. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, that, so did you have like a full on machine shop at that point or, uh, like... uh, you know, uh, in the world of machine shops, I would call it a tool room that I had uh -huh. I basically had equipment that you would normally see in a tool room. There was no CNC machines. Mm -hmm. Um, it was just me turning cranks and making things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the first, probably the first, two years of trail boss that was it that was me i made everything mm -hmm. um and and then it, it, there was a point that came where the the quantities were simply uh, unreasonably large that it didn't make sense for me to make them on manual machines anymore and did you and, have uh, were you just like word of mouth still or were you did you have a website at that oh point totally or? word of mouth yeah totally uh yeah somewhere in there we put a website up um uh -huh. but that was it and yeah. and pulled some stuff off the website and uh 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 yeah transitioned into a a uh company here near us near me in bellingham Did the, our machine shop's a mile two miles away from my door uh -huh. um iron gate machine they're a, they're a quality shop i knew them from my from my previous career uh -huh. and uh and and turns out a bunch of mountain bikers work there and I said, Hey, I want to start making these. And they were like, yeah, we're all in. What do you want to do? So yeah. 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 yeah so, super, super good crew of people. They, uh, they basically treat me like an additional employee when I I just walk in there and we can talk yeah, about stuff. Yeah. And it's great. So then they're, they're machining the parts for you at this point. And then you're, yeah, they're, they're machining some of the other things. And yeah, they're basically machining all the aluminum stuff. So all the things, all the aluminum parts that make up the handle connectors, the couplings, uh -huh. um and the adapters that go on the tool heads but the tool heads are all steel um uh -huh. and and hardened steel 
And, you know, we've kind of morphed from, from me buying commercial things and cutting the handles off. Yeah. Because a lot of these things, you know, they're not, they're, they're made in, you know, 10,000 quantity runs. Right. Right. And, and I want to buy, I want to buy 40 of those yeah, yeah. with no handle. Right. And right. Uh, uh, that doesn't get much, uh, much traction with the manufacturers of those things. They don't really care. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, so yeah, guess- so, so we did that, did that for a while. Uh, but yeah. pretty much now, uh, nearly everything we have is made in house now, including the heads. Oh, we're wow. not, we're not buying commercial stuff. And so we've been, we've been, especially during the pandemic time, we've been tooling up, um, to make our heads, all our heads in house and buying equipment, mm-hmm. tooling up for that building, building custom fixturing and tooling for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's been our mission the last couple of years is we're bringing everything in house so that we're kind of in, in control of our own destiny. And it gives us a lot of flexibility. If we want to make changes, we can yeah. make our own shapes. Oh, let's try this shape. You know, we've yeah. got a, we've got a great uh, water jet laser cutter place. That's about five doors down from our machine shop. And, and they're, uh, you know, they're a high quality industrial uh, fabricator and yeah, so yeah. they they do all our laser cut stuff. We we buy we buy large sheets of steel now and they yeah. laser cut shapes out for us. So I guess just to take a step back for people that are listening, I, I always assume that that whoever is listening to the episode knows what we're talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> maybe somebody has never heard of, of what what you're doing. So um, I'll yeah. I'll do my best to explain it and then feel free okay. to check at any point. But basically, yeah. what they're they're he's creating is these packable trail building tools, which if you hadn't figured that out yet, (laughs) but essentially like a McLeod or a rake or a saw. And it has uh, a, like typically when you would buy one of those, let's just say from home Depot, the handle is like 48 inches long and his handle has different um, mounting points so that it can screw together. And then you can also just carry the heads that you want. So maybe you want to just take a McLeod and a little handsaw you can mm-hmm. take those two pieces, wrap them up in your camelback and jump on your bike and go. And you right. don't have these huge tools that you're trying to lug around. So yeah. I think um, I I don't know of any other products out there that are similar to yours. That, that Yeah, are. there's there's a company in Germany that's recently started and it's very okay. similar. There have been about I'm going to say there's been maybe four four or five companies that have tried started up and not succeeded. Yeah. Um, the German guys are relatively new. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll see, we'll see how they do. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a challenging, it's a challenging enterprise because you're, you're trying to make something that is, is packable. So you can, it's compact enough. You can put it in a backpack, but when you're using it, it needs to be durable enough that you can use it just like you'd use a regular long handle tool. Yeah. Um, and I mean, those things take a beating. I mean, you're, yeah. you're like a pickaxe, for example. I mean, I'm, you're, you're swinging it straight into a rock, yeah. you know, and you're, you're banging the fiberglass all over everything that you mess it up on. And um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's challenging. It's challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and you're trying to make it, you know, somewhat lightweight. It can't be super heavy. Like we could, we could make the whole thing out of steel. It'd be really stout and strong and you wouldn't break it yeah. and you wouldn't ever want to carry it with you. Right. So, right. 
when it's a uh, niche market too what's that i said and it's a niche market too i mean it's like super tiny yeah yeah Yeah, so super tiny little market i would imagine the startup of trying to be a competitor Mm -hmm. is really high and and then to like have to learn all the the things that you're doing i mean i'm we're not to say that any that anything's you know impossible, but man, that's that seems like a, a big hill to climb, you know. Yeah, it is. It's a yeah, and and in in my view anyway, you, it's something you really have to want to do, you know. Yeah. You, you need. I mean, for me, it's just I really wanted to do this, and I wanted to figure out how we could be successful at it, and uh-huh. really make something that worked well. Um, and and it takes effort, and it takes, you know, not to not to use the, this overused term, but it takes, you know, continuous effort. You, you're, you're constantly evaluating what's going on and what do you need to change and how do you need to improve this thing? And it's like, for us, it's almost every, every run we're being self-critical and trying to figure out what can we do to either do a better job making it, have the, have the uh, quality be consistent, um, and and then making little tweaks, always, always, always making little tweaks to features um, mm-hmm. to make it stronger, better, um, and and it's all based on customer feedback. One one of the things we really uh, the, the, we've stuck with over the years is we only sell direct. We we don't have distributors. We don't go through any kind of indirect sales. Uh, mm-hmm. One exception there's one exception to that, but but uh, otherwise around the world we just sell direct because that direct feedback from our customers is just so valuable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if somebody breaks a handle, we ask them to send us pictures, what they're doing. Uh, we'll pay to, we'll, we'll, we'll pay to have it shipped back to us. And we send them a replacement and say, put that in the box. There's a label, send it back yeah. to us. We can dissect it and see what happened. And, you know, was it, was it just overstressed or was it a manufacturing default or uh, a defect or, you know, what, what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's super important to do that, and and because we just work directly with our customers, it makes that all that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird little enterprise. Humans humans can break anything, right? You know, given yeah. a, given given enough persistence, <laughs> you know, yeah, enough right. fire to break that thing, we we can do it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, they're not unbreakable, but. Uh, but we do try and make them stout enough that it's not likely to break. Uh huh. What's uh, the warranty like on the products? Five years. Five years. Okay. Five years on a hand tool. Yeah. Um, and we we rely very heavily on our customers. You know the the the, the bike industry joke. Oh, I was just riding around, frame broken half. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we rely a lot on our customers being straightforward with us about you know I drove my truck over this. I'm really sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That would not be covered under warranty, um, but uh, but everybody, you know, we we have the best customers in the world. We really do. It's it's crazy. H- having worked in manufacturing in all kinds of different industries, uh, uh, I, I can I can just unqualified say we have the best customers in the world because everybody's outside doing what they love to do. They're having mm-hmm. fun. People who build trails love building trails. Um, you know, what we can do to help them out and, and make it easier on them, allow them to do a better job, whatever. It just, it just works really well. 
it's it's really nice to have something that can be packed in and out because i mean there's a project that i work on and we just have stuff laying all over the woods you know mm -hmm. and it's like they're you, you you don't know if somebody's going to come by and take it or you don't know if some bear is going to go chew it up or like I always, I always forget where i put it i you know yeah well we've had that plenty of I've, times I've, too. You know, buckets and a shovel and a, something else stashed out there and i'm not go back out to work and i'm like i put it by that behind that tree well not that tree yeah damn it yeah <laughs> yeah and every once in a while i'll be riding down that trail and i'll be like oh my god there's the freaking mcleod that oh that's <laughs> right we were working on that corner i totally forgot about it you know and like yeah yeah it's just crazy how many like and then the the, the abuse that they take from just being outside in the weather you know is yeah. like a lot not very good for the tools themselves either yeah um yeah we uh we repair I, I i i was on the board and then the board president for a while for the waka mountain bike coalition mm -hmm. here in bellingham and uh and as part of that and me having a tool making company we offer we we offered to repair and sharpen the the club's tools all the time and, mm -hmm. and and some of them are pretty rough <laughs> some of them have been outside for a while yeah and, yeah and then it's like you know that handle's gotta go it's it's pretty trashed right right for the most part um i would assume that the people that are using your tools are just uh like trail building types you you wouldn't see that in like firefighting that much or stuff like that would you because they're, uh, they're kind of getting we, dropped off closer it's a uh, that's a great question we um we don't intentionally go after that but there is certainly some overlap so uh -huh. we have had some fire crews buy trail boss tools. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to be the, uh, I don't want to say hot shot, but they tend to be the rapid response teams. That yeah, like are the, yeah, okay. Folks the that search and rescue folks, kind of types. Yeah, they're folks that have to have firefighting tools in their rig. Uh -huh. And uh, they're all quite often first responders to, to a something. And they uh -huh. need to be able to get out there quickly, but they don't like having a whole array of long handle tools bouncing around in their vehicle. Right. That they only use occasionally. You know, they're not firefighters; they're first responders. Right. And so, so we've had a few of those folks buy them. Um, mm. The one place we've had real success is our one distributor in the world uh, is in Australia. It's got a company mm. called Forestry Tools, and. Uh, uh, I, I really thought you were going to say your one distributor was the Path Bike Shop. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been a good story, right? <laughs> um, no, it's uh, it's it's this company in Australia. Great, great little company. Um, they sell all kinds of agricultural tool products, forestry tool products. Obviously, uh -huh. another name, but they sell to the Australian government. And and one of the rules in the with the Australian government is they can only buy from Australian companies. Uh, and and so somebody in the New South Wales sort of Sydney area on the on the east side of the of the continent um, saw trail boss tools and wanted them to try them out and uh, got in touch with forestry tools who contacted us and they said, hey, our customer, the Australian government is interested in looking at your guys tool. So we. We did that and then they ended up buying them and they've been buying tools from us now for i'm gonna say six years oh wow um so once or twice a year we put a big pile of tools on a pallet 
and uh, somebody picks it up and it ends up in a container and it goes to Australia. Wow. And it's it's for the New South Wales hotshot crews. They use them, they use them there, and and they are the largest hotshot crew in the world. Uh huh. The New South wow. Wales Wales firefighters, and yeah, it, it was just completely off of you know a guy or a somebody or set of somebody saw them, tried them out. They right. fit they fit their need, and and they they keep buying and replenishing over year over year. So. So. Like a, a lot of my friends that trail build, we've all had these things like on our wish list or whatever, you know, for a long time. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I always am like back and forth on is the four, like you have one handle that's four pieces and one handle that's three pieces. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm always like, man, I don't know which yeah, what one. Do you, what so do you what, do how, how do people decide what they want there? Is it? Uh, yeah, it's so the 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 main thing between the three and the four piece is the four piece one packs a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. The three piece, they're both handles of the same length. Um, they're both forty eight inches when you have three or four pieces, but the um, the three piece one, they're sixteen inch long segments, and the four piece one, they're twelve inch long segments. Mm -hmm. So if you have a shorter backpack or a more compact space, you need to get them into the four piece is shorter. And so it packs smaller. Um, yeah, my my in my head, I, I I figured that as much, but like, then I worried about well, in, like my knee jerk would be get the four because then I can get it in a smaller bag, right? Mm -hmm. And then, um, but then I was like, is there how how do I know that my hand placement's going to be okay? Like, do people right. have that issue with with the four? You know that all, that or? that has that's been one of the early speculations, folks make is, oh, I'm going to have these couplings in the way and it's going to bother me for what I'm doing. And right. at least our experience and the feedback from our customers is absolutely doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It no. just doesn't matter. Um, I've found, just me personally, I've found that when I use an irregular long handle tool, I miss having the grab points where the oh, couplings are. It gives I you find like myself point. grabbing on where the couplings are because I, I can get a better grip and I can pull with it. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes and, sense. And my hands, and especially if it's kind of slimy out, uh -huh. happens, occasionally, happens occasionally up here in the Pacific Northwest. Right. Um, we don't know anything about that in Northern California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not anymore. Oh, well. Yeah. Our, uh, our, build se our build season is a little different than yours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. But, but yeah, it, it uh, I think it's kind of a non-issue um, mm -hmm. just based on, again, feedback from feedback from our customers. And even when um, they're using good. like the the like the pickaxe or whatever, like normally, I mean, I use a heavier pickaxe normally, so you're kind of using your, the weight of itself and sliding yeah. your hand across the handle to throw it. Right. Yeah. Um, that doesn't seem to get in the way there. Or? It doesn't seem to. Um, yeah. um, you, you. What we recommend for people using a pick is, uh, uh, first of all, you don't use the full length handle. Take a section out. Right. So using shorter handle. Um, that is one, one of the other advantages of the four over the three. When mm -hmm. you take a piece out, you've got a 36-inch handle, which is pretty similar to most axe haft angle handles. Uh -huh. When you take a piece out of the three-piece, you have a 32-inch handle. So it's kind it's of short. A bit, it's a bit short. Yeah. yeah, it feels a little stubby then. Okay, yeah, well, that's, little, good, little that's good advice. Uh, is nice. And the other thing is we, we try and encourage people to do is, you know, you can mix and match handle segments. We don't. Yeah. 
you know, if you want a if you want a three piece that consists of two sixteens and a twelve, great. You know, yeah. you like that length, or you want, or you want a you want a four piece with three twelves and a sixteen in it because you're a bit taller and you like longer handle. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that all works fine. Yeah, yeah, I think some of that stuff is like you'll you'll figure it out once you have it, mm-hmm. but um, I mean it's pricey, so it's not like you know. <laughs> It, you, you feel like you want to get it right the first time, you know? Right. Yeah. We will, we will send a, uh, we will send a demo tool to somebody if they're, you know, if they're agonizing over what to do, uh-huh. you know, um, if they're serious, we'll, we'll pay shipping one way if they'll pay to ship it back to us when they're, when yeah. they're done. And uh, happy to, happy to send somebody a demo tool with some stuff that they can experiment with, see what they like. So um, how did you go to, about figuring out what fiberglass to use? You said earlier you drill a hole. Oh, in it and it yeah. I, I, I uh, back in the early 2000s, I got involved uh, on a project with a Boeing commercial airplane, um, working on the first, um, the first plastic commercial airplane, the Boeing 787. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a all composite commercial airplane. And, that was that was my intro to working with composite materials, which is mm-hmm. essentially essentially you know different kinds of materials put together. In this case, you've got fibers that sit in a plastic matrix, and the direction that you run those fibers can determine how the thing behaves and how strong it is. Mm-hmm. And you know the plastic is just there to hold the fibers in place. So it's kind of like carbon fiber, basically. It, the way it is. It is. You know, the only difference between carbon fiber and fiberglass is the fibers. The fibers are glass fibers and fiberglass, and they're carbon fibers and carbon fiber stuff. Otherwise, it's the same stuff. Glass um, fibers is hard for me to wrap my head around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well similar to carbon fibers. Um, yeah, they're really strong in, along the length of the fiber when you pull right. or compress that thing along its length it's very strong and it's completely weak in every other direction and the same is true for carbon fiber so Um, it's the layup then what is what you know how the layout goes it matters the direction the fibers are going and so 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 these fiberglass tubes that we use are Mm -hmm. um they're industrial tubes they're not tool handle tubes Mm -hmm. they're actually industrial tubes that are that are used in structures to build structures and like uh, like um, uh, ladders and catwalks and and bridges and all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff, you know, inside outside kind of thing. But they're structural members, mm-hmm. and that's what we use for our tool handles or structural members. And so they're laid up, and the integrity of them and the strength of them is really really good compared to like your. So they're hollow in the middle, though, right? They're hollow in the middle. Yep. So yeah. I was wondering, oh, yeah. so then there's not some kind of like weird feedback when you're hitting on the stuff or anything like that? It's or? really, it's, I find it really, really nice. They're very compliant in the right way. Uh-huh. So it's not like taking an aluminum baseball bat and hitting it against a chain link fence. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Were you able to like adjust the wall thickness of the tube to like, until you got we, what you were happy with, or was it just yeah, like we had, we had some choices on what those wall thicknesses are. We settled on we settled on one, and uh-huh. uh, we actually have some some reinforcements inside the tube 
part of our part of our bonding assembly process. Uh-huh. We put reinforcements in the high stress areas inside the tube, so it's not completely hollow. Uh-huh. It's reinforced in the high stress areas. Got and it. and so then, but the rest of the tube is n- nicely compliant. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, it's it's much less uh, stressful to use a compliant tool. It's str- less stressful on the human at the end. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, at the, at the swinging end of the tool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's, I mean, not, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people have, like, when you're playing baseball or something like that and you crack that ball just wrong, man, it'll, like, yeah. it feels yeah. like it shakes you down to your, like, ankles, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you right. definitely don't want that when you're using a trail tool. Yeah. Yeah, one of our, so one of our handle sections uses a steel tube instead of fiberglass. Yeah, I noticed um, that. That's an upgrade, though, right? It's an upgrade, but... Yeah, it's, it's, so what's it's available. The reason, yeah. What would be the reason that somebody would want that? Um, we usually in, encourage somebody to get that depending, somewhat depending on where they're working. So if they're working in a very rocky area mm-hmm. or in an area where they're going to be using a pick or uh, using a shovel and really, really leaning hard on the shovel, mm-hmm. uh, like clay, clay type soils, mm-hmm. um, where they're going to be putting a lot of stress on the handle. We'll, we'll recommend that they get the steel, the one steel segment. So in a three-piece handle, that would be one steel segment that's attached to the tool head and two fiberglass segments up above it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that gives you kind of this mix of compliance for the user so you're not shocking your system every time you hit something. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the tool head end, where the highest stresses are and where the most abuse happens, there you've got you've – got steel material instead of fiberglass and it can it can take some hits and it can take some 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 bending forces you know more more so than the fiberglass right right so that steel one only comes in one length or it comes in the short length? oh uh, we make we make it in both 12 and 16s okay. and then cu- custom we've made it in also 24s for, mm-hmm. for we did we did a set of tools for some helidrop firefighter guys in montana Mm-hmm. And so we made a custom 24s for them. So it was a 24 inch steel section and a 24 inch grip handle section out of fiberglass. Nice. And uh, and the, they needed the steel section because the firefighters stick them in hot places from time to time. Yeah, well, that makes sense too, right? And fiberglass is plastic <laughs> and doesn't right. go so well. <laughs> so you use like a really um, nice color blue for your anodizing oh, or aluminum parts what's what made you choose that oh uh uh a complete accident on my part i i am color agnostic i i'm an engineer right i find a i find it hard to pay much attention to what color something is um uh-huh. i i picked it out of a pantone catalog yeah i just was like i like that blue let's do that right um, right it turns out it was a pretty good choice from the in the world of Pantone color selection and so on. Yeah. Uh, it apparently communicates strength and durability. There you go. Who, well, who am I to know that? I learned that. Think it, right? <laughs> yeah, my 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 uh, my business partner Tim is is the color Nazi here. He um, he's he he inflicts he inflicts color attentiveness on all of us we must be <laughs> color attentiveness i would have never <laughs> thought i was going to hear those words together uh, that's funny so i yeah. mean the people that are listening that haven't seen these before they're generally the the handles are, are gray and uh, yeah. all the connecting pieces are this nice uh blue would you like me to 
I could grab one in about 30 seconds. If that it's all right, fun. because the majority of people listen anyways, and okay. everybody else that's on their machine, they can click the link and show more and see. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, But it, it's a nice color blue anod anodized, and then the heads themselves are, are uh, like, it looks like they're powder-coated black or they're, something like that. They're powder-coated black for the most part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you said you started um, doing your heads by yourself. How, mm -hmm. how do how do you guys make those? You're like melting metal down and pouring it into something, or oh like yeah, out? it's uh it's uh so right now we're making we're making um, McLeods and rakes and uh, hose hose and Maddox um, out of out of steel plate. So we have the shapes we have the shapes laser cut. That we want mm -hmm. okay. um, out of the steel plate, and okay. it's either eight, it's either eight, eighth inch or quarter inch thick, depending on what we're making. The McLeods are eighth inch thick. The okay. the hose and the digging tools are quarter inch thick, and it's a it's a pre hardened steel. So it's uh, I'm trying to see think if there's something equivalent that it's hardened to. It's, it's so then then you just bend it like kind of and and then we have we have some forming equipment for shaping it and. We have some uh, we have some milling machines for cutting it. We put the edge on in a milling operation. Okay. Put sharp edges on them with milling operations. Oh, that's um, interesting. I wouldn't have thought about using yeah. a mill to sharpen the blade like that. Right. Yeah, it's way faster than standing in a grinder. Way faster and way more pleasant than standing right. in a grinder. To, uh, um, I'm a I'm a tool maker. I mean, not not literal lip maker with trail logs, yeah. but also a tool maker making tools to make other things. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, so, so we've got a whole set of fixtures for all these different things that go on the milling machine. So, so we can, we can just, you know, like throw the laser cut blank in, clamp it down, hit the button, takes the cut, take it out, rewind the machine, throw the next one in, hit the button. We yeah. Got what's the, um, what's the time? How long does it take to make one of these? Like if they're making a McLeod? Uh, oh boy. Yeah. I don't know. I <laughs> yeah. Off yeah. the top of my head, uh, I have a buddy. I have a buddy there's that a of, uh, there's a lot of steps. Let me yeah, <laughs> let me yeah. just say that there's a lot of steps in the process here. So. Right, right. Because I mean, you have to mill the pieces, you have to get the head, you have to put them together, and there's, send them to Anno, and all powder yeah, coating well, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Some some of the heads have welding on them, so we have to get a tab have a tab welded on them for the, uh -huh. locating the adapter that gets bolted to it. Oh, okay. Then the whole thing gets powder coated. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. so were and, you... and we're, we're in the, we're working on right now, making our own shovel. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a fun, challenging thing. Shovels, shovels are, shovels are a, a, a manufacturing process of their own. The, the difficulty with a shovel is it's so thin, but you're forming it into this shape. It's got, it's got bends in it or curvature to it mm -hmm. um, that puts stresses in the metal. And then you have to heat treat them. Shovels need to be heat treated to be strong enough that you're not going to bend it when you use it. Mm -hmm. And when they get heat treated because of all those residual stresses in the metal, they warp. Mm -hmm. So now you have to take that heat treated piece that's now warped and straighten it. Interesting. Back you can't you can't mill it. You can't like 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 yeah. like machine a shovel. Not really. It's so thin, you know, figuring out how to hold it and how you would do it is, would be uh, really difficult. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So we're working on that right now. It's, it's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. It'll, yeah. it'll, it's going to take us a little while to work out all the, all the process steps that we have. Uh -huh. a good solid thing. We do a lot of physical testing, you know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll speculate on what something should be like, make up a design, build some prototypes, go beat yeah. them up, figure out what, what's what. Were, were you always a guy that wanted to start his own business? Like, were you like somewhere in your life where you're like, man, someday I'd love to be my own boss? I, I I have always done that kind of thing. I don't know that it's really been a mission on my part to, oh, I got to have my own business. But, but you know, I mean, as a kid, I at 14 years old, I was the neighborhood window washer, you know, and I bought a uh -huh. squeegee and a bucket and a nice sponge and a stick to put them on and went around yeah, knocking yeah. on doors to wash people's windows, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so, so yeah, I've done that kind of thing, you know, on and off in my life. Um, so but, when it mostly, happened, I've, mostly I've worked for other companies, mostly I've, you know, yeah. had a job usually with smaller, I like smaller companies than bigger companies. I've worked for some really big companies and I like the smaller ones a lot better. Yeah. You know, that, that's been my experience as well. Uh, earlier in my career, I, always wanted to work for a bigger company and have bigger budgets and spend uh, more money and more people. And I just felt like it was something that meant a lot. And then later I took this job as a small comp at a small company because it was going to be like, it was a good title. And I felt like it was going to be good for my, like my moving up, you know, and uh, instead what happened is I just stayed there because I liked it. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then I was like, oh, I guess I don't like big companies anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, 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 it's interesting. Now I'm kind of in the in both of the worlds because I work for a company that's, you know, part of a really big company. But the the vibe of where we're at, it seems like we're just like a little small place. You know? Yeah, so. yeah. There's there's you know there's big business there's big businesses that pull that off quite nicely. You know, they're yeah. they're good at that, and it's, it's yeah. great. We're definitely like a redheaded stepchild section, though, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It's a little bit of a badge like, of honor, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely something like that. So so what was that like for you to, like, that, go through that process of, hey, I got this nine to five job that, like, pays my bills mm -hmm. and I have benefits. And now I have this thing that looks like it could be something right. more. Like, how do you go about making that leap? Yeah, it's a it's a hard decision, right? It's a, it's really difficult to decide to, for me, take a gigantic pay cut, yeah, <laughs> um, and and do a do a quite risky thing. Uh -huh. uh, but you know, it was it, it was I I was getting towards the end of my professional career. I was uh -huh. feeling kind of stale, kind of stagnated in what I was doing and, uh -huh. and nothing to do with my job. I had an awesome job. I, I just yeah. had been doing it for 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and got to the point where I felt like, so I, I was, I was sort of critical in the company. It was about a 200 ish person company. Mm -hmm. I had a really critical role in the company as the product manager. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I got to the point where I felt like I'm, I'm not personally doing as good of a job as I should be doing. Yeah. And, and having a hard time kicking myself in the butt and saying, you need to do better, you know? And it was just, yeah. it was just kind of stale stagnating there. Yeah. And I felt like I was kind of, I was doing a disservice to everybody around me at that. Mm -hmm. And, and just decided, you know, this is a good, this is a good time to do this. this yeah. Is yeah. 
let's let's do this. And I I I took the I took the hey, I'm gonna quit and I'm gonna start doing this trail boss thing, but I'm available to consult with you guys. If, yeah. You know. There you and go. And so so I actually did that for a couple of years and it worked yeah. out okay. Um, That's always good. That eases and, the pain a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it was a, you know, it was a, it was kind of a soft exit when I, when I left, because I, I uh-huh. kept helping out for, for a couple of years. Um, and, uh, and so it worked out okay. It was a transitionary thing and, yeah, yeah. And, and so Trail how, Boss was growing and growing and picking up and getting busy. And so and, how many people do you have at Trail Boss now? Uh, there's four of us total. Mm-hmm. There's, um, I always tell people on this podcast a lot that things in the bike industry, a lot of times are much smaller than you think, you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I've yeah. noticed that, you know, that and and before I was, you know, in the industry the way that I am, I I totally thought, you know, like if you went and bought a helmet from this place that there was like a thousand people making it, you know, and not like. 15, uh, you know, yeah. you know, like it, it, a lot of, a lot of companies that you see in every bike shop out there are not yeah. huge companies, you know? And, and, um, that's, that's the one thing that, I, that I really, really enjoy about doing this podcast is mm-hmm. like helping people realize that like, when you buy this thing, like you're feeding that kid's family or that guy's family, you know, mm-hmm. or you're like, putting that guy's kids through college or you're, you know, putting food on that dude's table. And, and, um, because a lot of people tend to the way that the world is like globalized nowadays, they tend to disconnect from that. And, you know, I think, you know, back in the day, like you went to the, the, the hardware store, you know, it was like, Bob's running the hardware store, you know, you're, you're giving (laughs) your money to him. But like now it's like, it's home Depot. It's like, whatever, you know, and, so it's yeah, really we had neat. a we, we had a super nice experience last week. We were at uh, Crankworks in Whistler mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of days and took a took a day to just do some riding together. So we had a little uh, I'm 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 going to very generously call it a team building ride. Um, there you go. <laughs> yeah, basically four, <laughs> of went for, four of us went out for a ride. Not the big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it was in a little bit west of Whistler in the in this place where. Chromag bikes is and oh, okay. and uh, North Shore billet components are right next door to each other cool. in the same in the same little place and it's where the trail trailhead was for the trail that we were going to ride and yeah swung by just to say hi to those guys and it was super cool we just walked in hey hi we're just we're, yeah we're the yeah. guys who make, the guys who make trail boss great you know and gave us you know got the tour and a lovely conversation it was just really fun and and yeah. again two little places just making their cool little stuff that they make. Um, yeah, yeah. I love Cro-Mag's bikes, you know. And, yeah. You know, North Shore Billet guys, I really wasn't too familiar with their stuff, but it's sweet. Yeah, yeah a buddy of mine, um, he runs Project 321. They do hubs and he does all his own machining and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it kind of, I think that whole business started just because he was a, you know, a, a bike rider and a machine, he had his machine shop, you know, and it was right. kind of like, started making things for something that he wanted to do on his own. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, this is a business. Uh-huh. You know? right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, fun stuff. What, what are, which one of the tools is like the most difficult to make? Oh, uh, uh, out, of, out of all of them, um, the, the, just the, the handle itself mm-hmm. is probably the most technically complex thing mm-hmm. that that requires requires 
us to be really diligent and really precise mm-hmm. in all the all the assembly operations to put that thing together. Uh, that's, that's really interesting because that's, that's the most think... core. That's the most core critical thing is the handle. Um, what is it that that's so specific about it? Just because like the way that it like yeah the bo- the bonded joints um, uh-huh. uh, the you know the kind of materials we're working with everything has to fit super well the the machine tolerances on the couplings are really important for, right. for a bunch of different reasons um yeah, and that, you don't have any like wiggle or anything like that or that, that to a large extent is what makes it work well is is fairly tight tolerances where they need to be and um uh so yeah the, the handle itself is probably the most critical piece then after that uh the the, the shovel's complicated the, the current mm-hmm. shovel we have, we buy a we buy a shovel from a from a company called Nupla. It's a big tool making company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sell us just the blades because we buy a, a few hundred at a time. Mm-hmm. And um, and all the adapter that goes on the end, it's a it's a complicated little set of steps to mm-hmm. plug the the adapter onto the end of it that the trail boss handle screws onto. Mm-hmm. Um, so, been... Go ahead. I was going to say, so our, our mission with our, our mission with our, you know, making our own shovel is to try and simplify some of that. So it's, it's a little bit easier to make and it packs a little bit better. Um, so we're, we're trying to head in that direction with it. On, on your site, there's a few different um, packages that are, are sold out. Is that, um, <laughs> is that normal or is that like, just because of the like, uh, kind of stuff or is it uh since 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 2020 there is no normal yeah um, <laughs> I'm just gonna, it's the new I'll, normal i'll throw that out there <laughs> oh this happened well okay yeah fine um so uh uh we're doing a lot better than we were during the peak of of the pandemic um we were having trouble getting supplies and uh-huh. almost nothing that we buy comes to us via a container over the ocean. Almost everything we buy is domestic mm-hmm. and we were still having trouble. The domestic suppliers were all having trouble. Everybody was having trouble making stuff, uh, getting even getting raw materials was difficult. And, yeah. and so all of that ripples down the supply chain. You know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, and, there was bike companies that had full bikes that couldn't get them because there was no cardboard to put them in. You know. Yeah. So we so we were struggling. We were we were struggling just getting things. And then yeah. one of our main suppliers, one of our main suppliers of the tool heads, just essentially couldn't deliver anything. Just flat mm-hmm. couldn't deliver anything. Oh, wow. And so that was where we said, okay, we we got to make our own. We got to start making our own. So we bought machinery and worked our butts off on the process and work through making our own digging blades and now mm-hmm. we're doing that. And so now we have that stuff in stock. Yeah. Um, we're doing, we're doing relatively well. A lot of times what you'll see is we have a lot of the, all the bunch of individual pieces, parts, uh-huh. but the, the six head kit, for example, we don't have a rake right now. So uh-huh. what we have to do is oh, take the six head kit offline because we don't have the rake head at the moment. Right. Right. And then yeah, I think everybody. I mean, I, I think the bundles are nice, but I also think that people that build, they kind of have yeah the things that they know that they like to use. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, we we call the packages convenience packages. I mean, it's just sitting there, and 
our most popular one is the three head kit that comes in a tool wrap. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's a McLeod, a Homatic and a 13 inch pull saw mm -hmm. and then handles and then a nice thousand D Cordura wrap that it all fits into. And you can drop that in your backpack. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the most popular kit that we have. I've never used that tool. The, the what was the other one that you call it? the uh it looks kind of like, Yeah, what I, guess, yeah. I don't know how I would explain. It's a, it's that. kind of triangular shaped. It's a digging it's a yeah. digging hoe on one end, it's wider and then on the other end it's narrower and has a little mattock end that's uh -huh. maybe 2 inches wide. So what what do you wide. use it for? Like how do you like to use uh, it? so that's a great tool for benching um you know, digging in the dirt. It, uh -huh. it it's heavier than a McLeod and it's sharper. It's mm -hmm. quarter inch thick material instead of eighth inch. Um, Got it. Sharp edges on three sides. So it's a really good digging tool. So if you're side hill benching, yeah, uh, that's the tool. So like where digging. I would be using like a pickaxe if I would have right. a full tool, then it would be yeah. like use that. Okay. Yeah. Use that. And that, you know, the, 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 the pick, you know, either the pick end or the mattock, you know, most of the people using picks are using a pick mattock. So there's a, yeah. a pick on one end and a mattock blade on the other. Got it. Uh, okay. That's the that's the pretty common dirt digging tool. Uh, yeah, I, I pull that out when it gets rocky. Mm -hmm. um, the I like the the digging hoe better uh, when I have to dig dirt or dirt dirt and rocks mix because I can pull a lot more of it every stroke. I can pull a lot more dirt. Than oh, I can okay, I see what you're saying. The yeah, smaller yeah, yeah. mattock, the narrower mattock. I I feel like with the mattock, I'm working really hard and not moving too much dirt. Right, right. Didn't you you have a like bag, like a backpack at one point, or was it just? Oh, one we, that you... we do. We uh, we we resell the Evoc Trail Builder bag. That's uh, it pack. Okay. It's a nice pack. I like it. Um, we just couldn't get it. It just they they were having so that that's one of the things we buy from Asia. It's made in Vietnam. Uh -huh. Evoc's a German company. It's designed at Evoc in Germany. Yeah, it's made in Vietnam, then it goes in a container and comes here, and they just weren't showing up for the last two and a half years. Got um, it. So that that dam that that dam just broke. Um, we now have a whole bunch of Evoc Trail Builder packs here, <laughs> so so we're in good shape. They're up on they're up on the store, and and we can sell oh, cool. them. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was gonna, I wasn't sure if you guys in. had worked with them directly to make that, or it's just so they are already made. No, it's, it's it's theirs. You know, it's their own. Um, um we've been we've been talking to them they're yeah relations have been a lot better in the yeah. last couple months so it's great right on yeah. um so it, your your favorite tool to use still the still the uh the mcleod or uh my 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 favorite tool to use is uh is really a it's hard for me to pick one. I, I like the I like the Homatic and the McLeod together. Those two. I happen to have this tool that I can switch the heads on. <laughs> so uh -huh. I don't have to I don't have to settle for just one. Um, right. Right. Uh, so so I like the I like the Homatic uh, and the McLeod combo. That's my uh -huh. that's my go to. I carry that in my pack. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it gives me enough different options. The, the McLeod's a great finishing tool and tamping a tamping tool. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know the rake is moderately okay. We have a wide rake that's a way, a way better rake. <laughs> yeah. But if, you know, you, then it's just a rake. It's not as 
not as good of a kind of all rounder as the McLeod is. Uh-huh. Um, and then the the home attic, you know, if I need to dig some dirt out or chunk some rocks or yeah. chop some roots, I can do that with the home attic. Um, yeah, I think the rig would be nice though for just moving a bunch of dirt too. Sometimes yeah, whenever you like bench to some some part of a trail and you just need to get a bunch of it out of the way, like yeah. I can't yeah, tell you right. how many times I'm just using my shoes and they're just full of dirt and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. But the Trans Cascadia guys, they have a lot of trail boss tools. That, uh-huh. you know, if you know, you know that race. The, um, so they, uh, they, they have a lot of trail boss tools. So when they're out prepping trail and stuff like that, their go-to is that wide rake. They really like that. Yeah. What's that? Can you explain that race for people? The, that what, the, the, the race that you were talking about? Oh, the Trans Cascadia race. So yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a group of guys. They're in. Uh, they're in. I'm pretty sure they're based in Oregon. Um, uh, Nick and Alex, and uh, it's a it's a it's a multi day enduro stage race. Oh, okay. I think it's I think it's either by lottery or by invitation only. It's pretty much pretty high end. It's uh-huh. uh, it's definitely outside my pay grade yeah. <laughs> to go ride. Uh, but the the the, the thing that I love about what they do is um, their mission is to recover old abandoned trail routes uh-huh. and make that part of their race course. Oh, that's and, cool. And so they spend ca- countless sleepless nights, I'm sure, just pouring over old topo maps, trying to find old routes in the Cascade Range, um, uh-huh. uh, in the Sierras in California. They're just looking for these for these old abandoned routes that they can go to the Forest Service and say, we'd like to recover this route. We want to run an event on it. Right? Oh, wow. And we're going to go in, no cost to you guys, we're going to go in and recover this this old trail that used to be here. And almost yeah. always the, the reception is, well, hell yeah, yeah, let's do that, you know? Right. Um, You're going to do something for free? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's, it's what a great, what a great cool project. And they end up making this, you know, I think it's four-day, four-day four four stages. Uh, uh-huh. very, very high end. It's not cheap to race it, but, uh-huh. uh, but it's just a lovely event. Um, so yeah, yeah. Those guys, those guys hit us up way early on many years ago saying, these are perfect for what we're doing. We need to carry tools in way back in. Um, and, uh, got some, got some sponsors, bought some tools from us. Um, and yeah, they've just been carrying that on. We've now, we've now started, uh, kind of a little refurbishment unit that we put together where we have a hitch mounted vice and a battery angle grinder and a bunch of batteries and a charger for it and a toolbox and spare parts. And so we go out to these events where we know there's going to be a bunch of people with tools and just set up a tool sharpening refurbishing station out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did that with Trans Cascadia last year. That was really fun. All right on. Did, um, <clears throat> shoot, what was I just going to say? Oh, how did you guys decide on the saw how to make the saw the saw yeah so so the saw is just a just a regular arborist pull saw mm-hmm. um it was the i'm going to say it was the third head we did the first head was a mcleod the second one was a rogue homatic um and then the and then the third one we did was was a the 13 inch pull saw um mm-hmm. And I honestly, when I first did it, I was like, everybody carries a saw around in their bag, you know, it's, why do you, there's lots of folding saws out there. Why do yeah. I, why do I want to do this thing? Right. Uh, but went ahead and did it and I, I'm really glad I did it. It, 
it works really well having that having that extended handle on the pull saw you can really lean into the thing more so uh -huh. than with a folding handle uh -huh. um, and and i really like that aspect of it and then the other bonus is you could add more segments and you've got a pole saw right now, reach up in the trees and saw stuff yeah i didn't think about that um, and and that just comes along with the deal right it's just there yeah. um and and then we came out with another handle that's just a bike grip it's basically yeah. a, it's basically just a uh you know double double locking like, bike grip yeah it looks like an odi like regular yeah, ODI, it's, yeah it's a it's we buy them from uh from lizard skins. Um, oh, okay. I was going to ask you if you guys developed that yourself, or yeah, yeah. So we buy the we buy the bike grip from Lizard Skins. We built the internal that has a trail boss coupling on the end of it, and then you can uh -huh. screw that onto the saw, and you have a little little handle of saw. Um, yeah, originally I was thinking that that's the way that I would use it, but after you've explained using the longer piece, that kind of makes more that like makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so yeah, the saw we ended up we we. We were selling, we were doing Corona saws um, mm -hmm. and, and then we discovered this company called Samurai. That's a Japanese company, uh, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're really nice quality saws. I really like them. Um, they're, they're not crazy expensive, you know, they're, uh -huh. they're reason they're on the higher end, but they're still pretty reasonable. Um, just nice quality. We yeah. buy their heavy duty one, which most Arbor saws, the the spine of the saw is actually tapered. So it gets narrower from the teeth to the back of the spine. And that's okay. so you can do, so you can do very fine arborist cuts um, and it doesn't bind and, and that kind of thing, yeah. but it makes them more fragile. We, we use the heavy duty saw that they have, which is a same thickness. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you like how thick it was because I've had some folding saws like everybody always talks, I want to say there's a brand or something like that, Silky, Silk something. Sil Silky's wonderful. They're they're a really high end, lovely. They're brand. really nice and they cut amazing, but they're extremely flexible. And I I, I found at least using it Complete. here with all the manzanita that we have, yeah. that I just snapped my blade like so fast, and yeah. it was. And like, that's uh, that that's I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's because it's that it's that fine arborist saw that's got the taper on it. Yeah, that's really designed. It's really designed for an arborist to do very fine pruning work. Yeah, um, that makes sense because to me, after that, I was like, you know what, I'm going back to the twenty dollars Fiskas from Home Depot because uh -huh. I yeah. could buy four of them for the price of that one. You know, and like, yeah, yeah, we found that the Samurai ones. It. It's kind of a nice. It's kind of a nice compromise between silky and the consumer level. Yeah. Shot. So it's a it's a level up from the Coronas and the Fiskers. Right, right. Um, it, it they compete directly with Silky in that domain. Um, yeah, so, yeah. No, that sounds really really interesting to try. What's yeah. the turnaround time from whenever somebody puts in an order until they get something? Oh, we will ship it sometime same day, next day, as long as we have the stuff in stock. Uh -huh. And if we're not too backed up, what 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 does happen sometimes is. We get a rush of orders you know it's, yeah it's, you can't predict when they're coming so you know somebody will place an order and we we haven't we don't have orders pending so yeah we pack and ship it it was about the same day or the next day it's uh, funny sometimes how, how... We, we get stacked up or we get a big order we get a big institutional order they want 20 kits of tools and so we're yeah. in the midst of doing that and um and so we try and you know not have that completely 
dominate, you know, and ship what we can, but sometimes it might take two or three or four days <clears throat> to ship stuff do you, out. Do you feel like you guys need to like grow and expand or do you feel like it's just kind of like you guys have the right amount of people for the right amount of, of work that you're getting or? Growth is overrated. <laughs> Profitability is super important, you know. Yeah, yeah. Being able to being being able to pay your crew every you yeah. know every other week, week over week, and you know being able to meet all your bills and yeah, yeah. have a little money left at the end to improve your processes and do stuff like that, you know. So the profitability thing is super important. the The growth to me is way less important. I mean, it kind of is what it is. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of our strategy, uh, we we refer to it as as pull marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically put stuff out there and try and represent it as best truthfully as well as we can. We mm-hmm. think our stuff's pretty good. Here's some other customers who think our stuff's pretty good, mm-hmm. but we don't push. We don't try and push stuff on people. We don't try and uh, sell outwardly, really. Yeah, just, yeah. We have some good stuff. We have some references of people who like our stuff. Maybe they're doing the same thing you are. Why don't you check yeah. it out? You know, and that's pretty much the extent of what we do. Yeah, I don't um, think I've ever seen like a trail boss ad or anything like that. No, to me, it was like I, I heard of it just from word of mouth. It was just like yeah. you know, complaining about carrying stuff and somebody's like, Oh man, you gotta check out these tools, dude. You know, like kind kind yeah. of one of their things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just been, you know, it's been that. And, uh, you know, as long as we, as long as we can remain being modestly profitable, we can stay here and continue to do this. Um, and, and, and the growth happens as it, how it happens. Yeah, so naturally. So yeah, our, our, our growth has been really, uh, bringing more stuff in house, which means we're doing stuff, which means we have to have more employees to do yeah. that stuff. Um, and, and so that's gotta be scary after coming out of the pandemic to be thinking about like bringing more in and like being more, it's uh, like on one hand, it's probably nice because it's like, Hey, I can do it myself. And then on the other hand, it's like, I need to support these people though, too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's another set of responsibilities and, and, and the world's kind of unpredictable. You know, I think it still is a bit unpredictable and we're having a hard time kind of putting a finger on what's our business volume really going to look like when we actually have stuff readily available and we're doing a good job of manufacturing planning and, and material supply planning and having enough stuff on order coming in to where we have stuff on the shelf all the time. Mm -hmm. What's, what's our business volume really going to look like when we, when we're in that mode. Yeah. And And we don't really know. We haven't been in that mode for a good long time because of all the supply issues. So yeah, I'm sure it's it's stressful because you're 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 probably always like, man, we're behind on this order, or we're waiting on that, or we can't ship that because of this. And then right. you, you probably like fantasize about the pre-COVID days of remember when we just had stuff everywhere, you know? We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, send me some stuff. All right, it'll be there tomorrow. Okay, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's not bad. Yeah. yeah. Now it's now it's where's the damn washers? Yeah, the right? washers aren't here. <laughs> so do you do you see that like wrapping up or does it look like it's like coming? Oh, it's like, way better, way better now than it than it was. Yeah. Yeah. You, there's you still like... sp- there's there's still spots, there's still issues. Um, uh-huh. I think completely intuitively, there's been kind of a general drop in quality on mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, and yeah. So we've had to we we've gotten things in that we've been buying for a while, 
and we get them in and go, what happened? <laughs> what happened yeah. to that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and sometimes had to send stuff back just because it's like that that's terrible. We can't use that. Here. What do you think that's attributed to? I don't have a good explanation. Yeah, no, just, no, no idea. Yeah, I gotcha. I, I, it, it, my guess, just total guess on my part. Uh, uh, a lot of places are short staffed and having a hard time finding people to hire. Yeah. And and but they have they have orders, they have volume, they have work they have to do. So people are just maxed out. Yeah. And when yeah. and when you get like that, you make mistakes. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's the reason, but yeah, I know. I understand. You're I'm totally speculating. I mean, I would be doing the same thing. I, I would I would just be making the same kind of assumption. I know that some people that I I personally know that have small businesses, you know, they had problems because of all of the the like stimulus stuff that was happening was making mm -hmm. it more beneficial for their employees not to come to work than it was for them to, right. to uh come to work so that was hard yeah. and then it's like you lose people with with skill set or talent you know and, right and, yeah um, we, we definitely we definitely saw that happening with some of our suppliers yeah where they were like yeah yeah that thing's 16 weeks out i'm like why is it 16 weeks out we right. don't really have anybody working right now right right <laughs> that's okay. crazy it's a crazy world. It's like, like you said earlier, though, about things being unpredictable. I mean, if anything yeah. that 2020 showed us, it was like, man, just know anything could happen at any moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's one of those things that, you know, you're kind of like, I've learned in my own life, but I didn't like expect it to be with like the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So. It was definitely a, a little bit of a surprise, but yeah. I think it also like puts it all into perspective a little bit where it's like, hey, we're not as like badass as we think we are as as mm -hmm. like humans. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so what kind of fun stuff are you working on? You you, you still out out uh, building any trails currently? Yeah, yeah. I get out. We get out and do trail work. That was uh, the Whistler trip. Was joining in with the. Specialized soil searching folks and Freehub Magazine and Warka up there yeah. who maintains the valley trails uh, had a dig day uh, last Tuesday and it's a it's a regular event well regular however regular you can be with the, being shut down for a couple of years but mm -hmm. uh, I think the first one was in 2017 um, and uh, uh, Freehub's our our Bellingham our Bellinghamster town mates you know the Freehub Magazine's based in Bellingham. Mm -hmm. And uh, Crankworks is just a cool place to get together with a bunch of bunch of folks, and yeah. And so we did a did that dig day on Tuesday. Um, uh, trail boss takes care of a trail up on Galbraith, our local trail system here in Bellingham. Um, I try and get out to some trail trail events, so uh, things like the uh, Oregon Timber Trail. Uh, Dig events. I've, I've been to a handful of those. The uh, 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 some evergreen events. Uh, evergreen yeah, Mountain yeah. Like Washington State here. Um, yeah, just just doing some of that. Um, What's your favorite thing to to like? What what do you like building? Oh, like, personally, me? like I like rocks. Like I like doing rock work. I think okay. it's super fun. That works cool. Yeah, yeah. I I uh, I like building a little thin ribbon of dirt in the woods 
Uh-huh. Just a very minimal touch, backcountry style, uh-huh. little trail that is kind of interesting, has some cool little twists and turns to it. Maybe, maybe, maybe we've discovered some little natural features we can use for a rock rollover. Or, uh, yeah. You know, in between a couple of trees, that's kind of cool, you know. Yeah, yeah. That my my favorite is just just a ribbon of dirt, you know, right ribbon of dirt in the woods. Yeah, uh, I would like to build somewhere sometime where I could actually like walk through and plan a route. I, there's a spot that I work on a lot that's just like all manzanita and chaparral, so you just kind of mm-hmm. like guess and then get like blessed from the trail gods you're like oh there's a rock (laughs) (laughs) yes sweet we're going that way you know so that's always fun you you mentioned some events do you guys ever go out to any kind of the mountain bike type of events to do any kind of marketing that way or Uh, not too much it's 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 we go to trail events and we go to a lot of trail events that are in and around mountain bike type trails Mm -hmm. um and a lot of the just trail conferences, mountain biking is now a big component in a lot of trail conferences, you know, where it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so we do that. Uh, not so much, you know, like, like sea otter. Yeah. Isn't really our jam. It's not, yeah, yeah. not the kind of thing we would go to necessarily. I've, I've been to it just as a walking around person. But, but yeah, it's a little overwhelming as a person, personally. Yeah. Like there's a lot going on there. Yeah, we went to we went to Evergreen's Evergreen's uh, annual festival event um, earlier this year, and that was fun. That was in Port Gamble, Washington. Oh, okay. And, and that was a pretty cool. That was a pretty cool, nicely done event that they had out there. It was like a um, mountain biking thing, or yeah, a mountain biking event. Yeah, yeah, just a mountain bike festival. It's their annual, remember. yeah, their annual festival that they do. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, going to Crankworks is obviously a very mountain bike specific yeah. thing, uh, but we wouldn't we wouldn't there wouldn't be a reason for us to get a booth there or anything like that. Um, There's a new documentary out that's from, I think somebody up there in Bellingham about. Oh, Bike Town. Yeah. 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 Bike Town was produced by Freehub magazine and a guy named Cole Heilborn uh uh, who who live in town here. And I think they focused on four different, four or six different places. But one of the places they focused on was the actual story of how the trails of Bellingham came about. Uh Uh-huh. And they had another place in Minnesota or Wisconsin. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I haven't got a chance. There, I, I got an email from somebody saying that there was a screening nearby. I just didn't have a chance to go. It's it's, it's nice. It's uh, I like it. It was, it was yeah, it was, it was done. There's a there's a predecessor to that one called Pedal Driven. Uh-huh. Uh, it's also it was made maybe maybe seven or eight years ago. Uh-huh. Also really really good. Similar kind of theme talking about how trails get realized, how trails get denied, how, you know, how do you work things out so that you end up with a trail? It's a, it's a really nicely done documentary as well. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. I'm putting it in my browser right now. That way I don't forget yeah. because otherwise that's gone in like five minutes. So, yeah, <laughs> Bike Town's a worthy movie. It's, it's Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, done. I'd like to check it out. Good, yeah. So um, what... What do you see as far as the future goes? You guys think you're gonna like try to develop like some kind of new tool or? Mm, yeah, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Sure. Yeah, both. You know, keep doing what we're doing. We keep adding more heads and a variety of things, and and 
they're, they're, we're just constantly tweaking uh-huh. things. So, so that's a, that's a big, a big thing. Uh, just even just doing that. Cause because we're making all our own stuff, uh, we're, we're in deep in the whole process and, mm-hmm. and how we're doing things. So, um, yeah, yeah, but more, yeah, more of this and just supporting trails, the, the best way we can doing what we can to support and advocate for trails. Um, um, I think it's, it's important. Um, it's nice to see, uh, s- some of the industries whose products and businesses rely on trails starting to actually recognize that the support and advocacy part for trails is really important. So you see people like specialized with soil searching and putting, you know, significant money into supporting the builder community, supporting the advocacy stuff. Yeah. Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz Cruz bikes, Santa Cruz bikes had the the pay dirt program. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 giant and Trek occasionally do some things. Um, Shimano, SRAM does does stuff, and SRAM starting to do more. Um, so it's it's uh, Yamaha. Yeah, we 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 just um, provided tools to some moto organizations that their purchase was funded by grants from Yamaha. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Yamaha specifically threw them trail trail building and trail advocacy grant money. You know. Um, yeah, I tried to to like preach to people the best that I can without sounding like some kind of freaking weirdo to go out (laughs) and do something, you know? And I think that so many people don't realize that like a lot of it's really up to you as an individual to take care of the stuff that you're using, Mm -hmm. you know? And and I, I can't tell you how many times me and a friend have come to like a log, you know, a tree laying across the trail and it's like, just the two of us moved out of the way and we passed like 10 people that day that were coming towards us that had to go past it. You, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, dude, take a minute, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I can even move that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's just crazy to me sometimes where, where it's, you know, yeah. people just keep climbing over it and going around it and just not, um, not yeah. taking that time. And, and I don't know what I'm hoping that, um, as these in, like bike industry kind of companies come more into the mix with that stuff that mm-hmm. it, it seems like for a period of time that maybe the mountain bike industry kind of got away from that, like no dig, no ride thing, you know, like yeah. what you were saying. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping to see that like kind of come back. Around. I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's becoming more active. We we're actually coming out with a product to try and instigate, uh, some acknowledgement for the people who work on trails mm-hmm. because one of the disconnects that I see that happens is that historically it's been public agencies who make trails, mm-hmm. right? Historically in the last 75, hundred years, right? Yeah. Pri- prior to that, it was prior to that. It was uh, merchants and tradesmen and thieves who yeah. made trails. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. Just trying to get from point A to point B. Thieves needed an escape route. Merchants needed a place to go along and flog their wares, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Totally. And then, you know, for the past 75 years, it's it's uh, uh, public agencies, the U.S. Forest Service, national parks, uh, Bureau yeah. of Management, um, state, state, parks, state park associations, you know, that it's, it's public agencies who made trails. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then 
with the political climate of the, I'm going to say, 80s and the big time budget cuts, government budget cuts that are, you know, even ongoing today, all those public agencies, all they've, all they've done since 80s to now is lose resources and lose resources. They've lost staff, they've lost staff, they don't have trail building crews, or if they have trail building crews, they're a shadow of what they used to be. Yeah. Um, so, so they're just losing staff and losing budget and losing staff and losing budget to the point where, you know, that entire Forest Service office is a guy sitting at a desk. Yeah. That's the Forest Service office there. You know, and and so nobody's there's nobody to take care of facilities, nobody to work on stuff. The uh, uh, what what one of the things that prompted me to start Trail Boss was this just super scary uh, U.S. GSA report, the General Services Administration report on the state of the national forest facilities, recreation mm-hmm. facilities, and it was like in from 2010 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was just horrifically bad. <laughs> the, the report was, and yeah. and uh, what was what was written up in that report was how the Forest Service needs to rely on user groups to do all the stuff that they used to do that they can't do anymore, and they're going to have to lean on their on the user groups to pick up that slack. And if you want a trail and you're a hiker, and that hiking trail has uh, eroded and washed out or something like that there's nobody going to fix it unless you go out there and fix it yeah and and that that change has happened i'm going to say over the last 30 years 20 years um to where where we sit today is trails are just completely dependent on all us different user groups whether it's mountain bikers bikers or four-wheel drive people off-road moto guys um, yeah Hang gliding people who want to get to a hang gliding launch point need a trail to get up. Yeah. I mean, all yeah, of that. Uh, climbers, you know, there's a there's a big group called the Access Fund that uh, it, are all climbers, and their mission is to create, maintain, and establish the hiking trails that get them to the bottom of a climbing route. Right, right. right? And that's what they're doing. Um, yeah. So, so because nobody else is doing that stuff now, it's it's, it's up to the user groups that that want to do it. Um, yeah, it's an interesting so, thing to think about because I, I think you know, I'm 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 younger than you, so I never really thought about those trails being. I, I thought they all never were like you know maintained by anybody but the people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, right. So to look so, back, so, and, so it's where I was heading was we're we're, we're picking we're we've made a product. We made a packable trail work sign. So right. it's a it's a packable sign. It weighs about ten ounces. It packs down to a little tube about that big around and maybe uh, 11 inches, 12 inches long. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it makes a pyramid shape. It's got tent pole, carbon fiber tent pole or fiberglass tent pole legs and a couple of fabric panels. Mm-hmm. And, and printed on each one panel says trail work ahead with a little imagery. The back panel just says, hey, happy trails. But yeah. the features we added to it is when someone buys one of these from us, we'll print their organization's logo above the trail work section oh, cool. so you can yeah. see the organization who's doing the work. Yeah. Backside, it's got a clear plastic pocket that the organization can print out a donation QR code, oh, slip cool. it in that pocket. And so if somebody's coming by and you've got the, your trail work sign out there and somebody says, hey, thanks. Thanks for working on the trails. Nice job. 
Yeah. You can point at the QR code and go, how much do you like these trails? Yeah. Yeah. How thankful are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, it amazes so, me like the work that gets done. I, I, where I live here in Northern California, I mean, Lake Tahoe is pretty close. Generally speaking, we kind of just refer to anything in the mountains, Tahoe, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, some of those trails that we ride are like pretty freaking remote, man. And you'll be going through and, and there's like, Hey, this huge log, it's clearly just been cut, you know, like, like somebody, yeah. somebody somehow brought a chainsaw out to where I'm at right now. And it took me, yep. you know, two hours of sweating my ass off on a bike, not carrying a chainsaw. Like mm -hmm. how the hell did they get up here with that? You know? Right. Um, right. It, yep. It, so, so we think it's really important to try and figure out how to acknowledge who's working on the trails, who's doing this stuff, you mm -hmm. know, um, because it's, it's not, it not, might not be who you think it is. Right. Um, yeah. And, and just getting some, getting some acknowledgement for all those folks who put all that hard work in. And so that was the whole purpose between, behind yeah. making that, that trail work sign was to come up with a way to do that. That's really rad. I need one that says, go the other way. There's not somebody building up here. <laughs> <laughs> this is private problem. property. Somebody's. That's, that's, a whole, that's a whole different problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I hear you there though. No, that's really, really rad that you guys, that you guys did something like that. That's definitely, definitely super cool. It would be um, nice to see somehow, I don't know how, but like the government to kind of, have a different outlook on people going out and, and proposing yeah. trails. It seems like a lot of areas like California is a, a big one, especially Northern California, like areas like Marin or whatever, like you, mm -hmm. you can't even uh, an area that was known for starting mountain biking. You can't, there's no mountain biking, you know, and I'll, it's I'll like, tell you what, I'll give you, I'll give you the, the exclusive scoop here on your, uh, on your, on your podcast. All right. Um, your... I'm, I'm being completely a smart ass. Yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, I really, I really want to start a movement where we refer to, you know, what people call illegal trails or unsanctioned trails or, yeah. or, or community trails or social trails, or you got these names yeah. for all these trails that people beat in, or even trails that people intentionally build, do quite a nice job of, you know, there's a big yeah. range of that, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I really, really want to encourage everybody to call those trails pre-sanctioned. Pre-sanctioned. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. I like that. That's the I proper like that. name for those trails. And and the reason for that is, um, this is not universally true, but in a lot of places, if you're sitting down with a land manager to talk about trails and they're telling you, you need to stop doing this, this illegal trail building, or you need to tell people who are doing it to stop doing it. The response to that for the land managers is, that's great. Yeah. We need to know what the proper process is. And can you point us to one trail in your network that was done through the proper process that yeah. wasn't initially a user built trail that became sanctioned into your inventory? Point, well, us to one, point us to one in your trail system that was done from concept, concept to end through all the proper channels. Show us yeah. one. 
if you can show us that one, we'll model that and we'll copy what happened there. Yeah. And, and oh, by the way, that old process needs to happen in less than 20 years. Right. Okay. Yeah, show that's, stuff, do, that's just ridiculous. You show know? us how to do that. That'd be awesome. So, so I really would like to try and push on this idea of, you know, these trails are pre-sanctioned. Yeah. No, I Next really step. like that. Because step. most places are. I mean, that, yeah. it, the way that you said it, most trails are are just the way that you said it. I mean, I don't need to repeat it again, but yeah. it's just, um, I mean, I know of an area here in Northern California that has like over 60 miles of trails that's all pre-sanctioned. And, yeah. and it's one of those things where they've been like, trying to get them sanctioned for 20 30 years right and there's people out there enjoying it it's beautiful it's like obviously sustainable because yeah <laughs> it, it's you know everything is working well and, and it's for whatever reason it's just not um doesn't happen and, and that's not to say there aren't cool places where it does happen and happens yeah. nicely and it's very lovely when it happens you know i'm thinking of I'm thinking of like Oak Ridge, Oregon. Um, yeah, or Bend for that matter. I mean, Bend, that was all road trails. Or know, Sedona, Sedona yeah. was all like road guys out, you know, pre-sanctioning. <laughs> yeah, but it, I, it, I mean, there's places where it, it happens, but then there's these other places where it's just really impossible, really impossible to get a, a sanctioned trail in. And I, I, I always puzzle over what's the difference? Why? Why does this go so great here? Why does it suck over here? To, yeah. To do this, I've noticed right? on the East Coast, it seems like they do. There's a lot more private landowners that are mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah. And you don't see that out here in California. My assumption would just be like the insurance is just ridiculous or, you know. Yeah, yeah. might be. Might be that. But, uh, but yeah, it's really interesting on the East Coast that you start, you're starting to see more and more like just private land just being developed that way. And I, I don't know, maybe that's a precursor, you know, that, that, that people are starting to see there's a financial payout to it as well. You know, yeah. I've seen, uh, go ahead. I would say we, 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 in Bellingham here, we, uh, we recreate on mountain bikes on a working tree farm on private land. Uh -huh. And, and the, the tree farm owner loves us, loves us to death. It, it's, he loves having mountain bikers up there because of, all of the tree farm properties he's ever been associated with. This one has no dumping, no drug use, no crime, no illegal fires, no, no mayhem uh, right. because we're up there recreating all the time. Right. And right. We, we work together with the landowner or with the, you know, with the tree farm, the landowner, and uh -huh. we work together with them on, on managing that when they're harvesting or when they have something going on and it's posted and people know not to cross the tape and, you know? yeah. yeah yeah that's 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 good that's an amazing thing that you have and you know the more of those that happen then you know the more that people can look at that model and try to try to um follow it yeah. and the thing is is like and also what i was going to say is like a different thing is you don't even need a lot of space to make a really cool trail system right. there there's one here locally that is a it is a, a public park that's it's only a square mile and it's one of my favorite places, <laughs> one of my favorite places to ride. Yep. It's just like super technical, but it's just like, it's a, it's a spider web of trails. You got to know which way to go. And, mm -hmm. and, um, 
sometimes maybe you up your skill set and then you can go the other way too, you know, yeah. but uh, it, it's yeah. amazing what you can do with a small amount of property. If, right. if, you know, people are actually kind of like putting their mind to it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, is there anything that, that we haven't talked about as far as that you would like people to know about trail boss? Uh, uh, Hey, we're here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, that's been a fun discussion, uh, Robert. I've enjoyed it. It's a nice, yeah. nice bunch of wide ranging topics and yeah. 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 Great. So when, when people want to get your stuff, just go to your website, trailbossusa.com. Website. We, we have a telephone. If you call a human, you might get a voice message because we're out making stuff, but a, a human will call you back and yeah. we love talking about our stuff with you and see what you're interested in. So don't, don't, uh, there's a contact button on the webpage. You've got some questions or want to talk about what we're doing. What Great. is the best way? Like, is there any kind of like referral that you have to like local organizations or something? If somebody wanted to be able to put their hands on it before they bought it or. Oh yeah. I mean, if somebody hit us up, hit us up on our contact button on our, on our webpage uh -huh. and said, Hey, I'm in this particular location. Is there somebody you can point me at? Who's got a trail boss tool that I can talk to who yeah. here where we are happy to happy to do that. Perfect. Um, Perfect. Yeah. 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 Because I, 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 you answered a lot of my questions and hopefully mine were, were similar to what other people think yeah. about whenever they're on the site, but I'm sure that there's certain yeah. things where it's like, well, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? So it's yeah. nice to be able to put your hands on things sometimes. Yep. Um, well, I really appreciate the time that you took to sit down and talk with us. That it's been a great conversation. Really uh, appreciate what you're doing as well. Thanks. Hopefully one of these days I can actually, uh, pull the trigger i'm thinking this fall <laughs> is going to be the one I, i'm gonna blame covid last season on yeah. like supply issues you guys didn't have the ones that i wanted so ah, got it. Now, yeah. now, now we've round the bend so i think we're doing a little better now so yeah yeah definitely so i re really appreciate um like i said what you're doing for the for the trail building community and as well as uh um for all of us out there trying to trying to cut some stuff in. So yeah. thanks again for sitting here with us. Yeah. All right, Robert. My, my pleasure, really. Yeah. Yeah. And all, all you guys listening here on, on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button. If you haven't already thumbs up, you know how that works. Those of you guys, like I mentioned earlier, that want something for free swing by my Instagram at biker B one. And don't forget to stop by trailbossusa.com and check out their products because um, you'll, you'll definitely, one look at them you're like yeah i know what i'm paying for this this is this is definitely worth it these things are pretty rad so <laughs> i want you guys all to remember one thing if there's only one thing that you take out of this it only takes a bike to be a biker so get out and be one